0: Today's second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, verses 13 through 23, which can be found on page 1498 of your Red Pew Bible. Listen now to the word of the Lord. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets He will be called a Nazarene. This too is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Spirit, fall on us like the rain, blow on us like the wind, shine on us like the sun, sanctify and heal us, and make us one. Amen. This story in Matthew's Gospel of the Holy Family's flight to Egypt, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Almost like deja vu. There was once another Joseph whom God worked through in Egypt, way back in Genesis. And then in Exodus, there was another fleeing at night by God's chosen ones. There was a close escape from a brutal king. Then there was Pharaoh. There is Herod now. There was a loss of newborn children to persuade or to appease a threatened ruler. Moses whisked away the Hebrew slaves from immediate danger with unleavened bread in their backpacks. Mary and Joseph whisked away Jesus from immediate danger to the very place God's chosen people were freed from long ago. Jesus, just like the Hebrew babies back in Exodus, has been passed over and spared. But why? For a purpose. And that purpose is to be lived out against a blood-red backdrop of murderous rage. What a passage to have on the heels of Christmas. Christ was born only a few days ago. We cranked up the soul-stirring renditions of Handel's Messiah. We broke out the handbells. We stacked up the poinsettias. We hugged our loved ones, and we were so grateful for the amazing news that God came to save us. If your house is anything like mine, the fur needles are still all over the floor. The ornaments may have been boxed up, or you might be waiting a few more days. Christmas is barely in the rearview mirror. We're still riding the festive wave of amazement and joy at the birth of the babe in the manger. But then, no sooner have the magi left the stable than the happy celebration turns tragic. We wave goodbye to the wise men who, thank heavens, were converted and diverted in their sleep. Even as Jesus is being swaddled, Herod is plotting to hunt him down, to extinguish the threat of a king who will threaten his reign. The glowing scene of a donkey and golden gifts and starry skies have trumpets belting out in bright notes, joy to the world. But then the soundtrack morphs into a minor key with a haunting tune. The Magi are warned not to return to Herod, but the violence doesn't dissipate. Herod's humiliation and his fury wreaks horrific consequences for the babes and the toddlers of Bethlehem. I simply can't imagine this scene from Matthew's Gospel. In such stark contrast to what many of us experience on Christmas morning, the parents of Bethlehem awaken to the worst possible grief. Where there had been laughter and toddler tears, there is only silence. It is a silence so palpable and so eerie and so unsettling that there is only one thing to do In the face of it. Weep. All of the Rachels, the mothers of Israel, weep with loud sobs. On and on she cries. She refuses to be consoled. It's the kind of weeping that racks the shoulders. Her body rocking and her breath shaking. The cries come from a place she didn't even know she had. It's too much to handle. All of Bethlehem cannot find words. They can only sit and cry. Within a few verses, the word who enters the world in Jesus Christ meets the world he has been born into. It is a world that is so full of chaos and violence that the loud laments echo off the rocks. The word meets wordlessness. I'm not sure whether to be mad at the lectionary for choosing this text for the very first Sunday after Christmas, or at Alan for giving it to me to preach, (laughs) or at God for letting such a thing happen in Bethlehem, or at God for letting such a thing happen in Rwanda, or at Auschwitz, or in Bosnia, or at any number of dark and soulless places in our history. I'm mad, and I am so, so sad. There are times I feel overwhelmed by it all, by the gore, the depravity, the poverty. It feels heavy. Here we are on the first Sunday after the beginning of the new age and the headlines don't differ all that much from the ancient world of Jesus' time. People today are fleeing wars to seek shelter in safer lands. Far too many don't have enough to eat. We watch as our joy at Jesus' birth turns to horror at this world our God chose to be born into. Where was God while the innocents were being slaughtered? Back in the second chapter of Exodus, it was God's tenth and final plague to a stubborn, hard-hearted king that provoked this pain and loss. And now in the second chapter of Matthew, God is hiding, tucked away in Mary's arms in a cave in Egypt. The truth of the gospel feels so tiny and helpless, against this heartache. Hope is born into a hopeless world and immediately has to flee to escape the violence. I'm gonna go ahead and ask the question that bubbled up as I wrote this sermon. Where is God while all the innocents of our world are dying in droves? The mothers of Bethlehem crumpled to their knees, I'm sure of it, and once they were able to stand again, shook their fists at the night sky, probably at God, if God was even there. They wailed and they refused to be consoled. The darkness could get, not get any more pitch black than a whole community robbed of its babies. Some of the headlines of 2019 were these. Suicide attack kills Indian security forces, sparks conflict with Pakistan. Terror attack kills 50 in New Zealand. Serial bomb blasts rattle Sri Lankan capital. Efforts to end disastrous Yemen war. Protests sweep Haiti. There were mass shootings in public areas and places of business and worship. From Texas to Ohio, people were killed. It feels dark. Pitch black, dark. There is violence and there is blood. Where is God? What has changed since Christmas? Has anything changed didn't Jesus come to join us in order to save us? Why is it still so very dark? The only thing I can see in this text is this God came anyway. God chose to be born into our mess. In Jesus, God sat with us, touched us, listened to us, was mocked and tortured for us and walked to his death for us. Jesus paid attention. He showed up for the anguished and the ill. Healing happened when he saw their pain and sat with them through it, touched them despite it, called their names and reminded them of who they are, children of God, dearly loved. We want God to fix it. We want God to save us in that way that a mighty king would, and we feel like should, save us. We want God to lift us up out of the trenches, erase the hardship, bring justice to alleviate our pain. We resent that God seemingly stays in hiding, stays silent, that God doesn't take the pain away. What God does in this text, what God does through the life of Jesus, what God does in our lives today isn't what we hope for. It isn't even what we pray for. We want God to remove the cup of suffering. Instead, God drinks the cup of suffering with us. As often as we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, until he comes. God can handle our deepest prayers. We can pray for cups of suffering to be removed. This is a human and faithful prayer. Jesus himself prayed this very thing on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the same breath, Jesus shows us the next good and faithful prayer. It is a harder prayer to mean, yet not my will But yours be done. This means we relinquish control, that we surrender to God, and that is very scary. After we give our raw honesty to God, we can take notice of what God might already be doing and how we might be the hands and the feet of Christ. When we find ourselves lamenting or resenting or searching for God, We look upwards at the big void where we see overwhelming largeness. We see darkness, we hear silence, and we feel alone. But what if we shift our gaze? While those Israelite mothers are grieving their hearts out to God through their tears, God is even then in the world with them. God is no longer far away a magnificent creator on an eternal throne, sending down plagues. God is a helpless baby of a refugee family at the whims of the same violent world we know. The God who came to save us didn't swoop in and pluck us out so that we don't have to go through hard times. Even as the parents of Bethlehem grieve and cry, Jesus is in the world about to experience the depths of their pain right there beside them. Jesus Christ told us in the Gospel of Matthew exactly where God can be found. Lord, when do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and help you? Truly, I tell you, as you did it to the least of these... You did it to me. After we've given God our best, our fist shaking, our confusion, our sorrow, and our desperation, which God wants from us and can absolutely handle from us. After that, when we are all cried out, we have to get brave. Brave enough to pray the second prayer. Yet not my will will but yours be done. We open our swollen eyes and we look around and we see something utterly amazing. There are people on all sides of us, near and far, who are suffering and carrying heavy burdens. If we're courageous enough to follow Jesus' lead, this is where our grief carries us. This is how we are able to show up for others. As Sister Chittister writes, only the experience of our own darkness gives us the light we need to be of help to others whose journey into the dark spots of life is only just beginning. It's then that our own taste of darkness qualifies us to be an illuminating part of the human expedition. Without that, we are only words, only false witnesses to the truth of what it means to be pressed to the ground and rise again. Where is God? Working through us, if we allow. We can follow our Lord by paying attention, by listening, not fixing. We can hold a hand, wipe a tear, really see and share in another person's grief. With a listening heart, we sit in these holy encounters with no words, right beside the word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.